This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today... Bit of a new episode we got going on. The plan for throughout this offseason is going to take a look at multiple topics every single Tuesday. Myself and the rest of PFF crew touching on all sorts of interesting things that, hey, maybe we don't need to talk about each of them for 90 minutes, but still cool things to talk about throughout the course of an offseason. I think actionable as well as we continue to build towards more championships in 2022 and beyond. So joining me on this episode, as always, PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's like more offseason than ever at this point. We got the Pro Bowl this weekend. I'm leaning towards doing a DF, DFS uh, preview for it, which is some true D-Gen <laughs> shit. Uh, but otherwise, man, we got one game uh, between us and USFL. Yeah, I don't think I've watched the Pro Bowl in probably 15 years. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even know where to – honestly, I wouldn't know where to start. Like, do you, ha- do you have a favorite agree. moment? Do you have a favorite Pro Bowl moment at least? Yeah, my favorite Pro Bowl moment was, you know, Michael Irvin way back in the day, whenever he caught like three touchdowns. I want to say nice. some of them may have come from Steve Young or whoever. I think the other coolest one was the Kyle Rudolph one-handed catch because I think we were all waiting like, oh, can Kyle Rudolph be the next Gronk? And then he like goes off in the Pro Bowl. Um, and then he comes back to being normal Kyle Rudolph in the NFL the next year. I feel like Rudolph, though, every year he'd have like one or two just sick one-handed catches. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that guy's a freak NFL athlete if we just think he's a slow, uh, older, white tight end. Uh, my favorite person, and shout out to everyone's, you know, we see it every year, and we should, but when Sean Taylor murdered that punter, that was incredible uh, content. I loved in like 2004, though, my favorite player growing up was Cowboys safety, Roy Williams, and whoever the AFC quarterback was, tried to throw a seam route to Todd Heap. Everyone's going 50% except Roy Williams, he freaking lays the <laughs> smack down on a heap over the middle. Like, there was a time, man, where Roy was the scary. Brian Dawkins was probably always the scariest, but Roy was right up there with the scariest safeties uh, in that early 2000s time period. So that was fun. So, downhill, Dwayne, Roy was scary. Um, you got him back on his heels. You yeah. love to throw against him. <laughs> you know, that's a. What, little... was, what was Bill Parcells' quote? He's like, yeah, he's a biscuit shy of a linebacker. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, that goes into one of our topics for today, which is focusing on players that are really good at some things and really bad at others. We'll get to that later. Again, uh, people, this is going to be a little bit different podcast than usual. And one thing I want to do a lot better job with in you know today and beyond is sharing the screen. So any of you people that enjoy you know listening to podcasts on YouTube or once I'm throw on the TV, uh, I think that just sharing the screen, showing you guys all the you know notes I put together every week, the articles, different videos, Dwayne's utilization report. Lot of potential utility to be added, so we are going to start doing just that. As always, I want to start things off with our first topic. 
NFL backfield workload tiers if injuries didn't exist. What we are trying to accomplish here is looking at all 32 backfields around the league. I've done a lot of, you know, grinding Excel work with this, figuring out the most relevant split for every backfield. And then I basically took the rushing attempts, the targets for each running back, took the usual, you know, efficiency measures we see from the past 10 years, which is 0.6 PPR points per carry, 1.61 per target. Targets are about 2.7 times more valuable than a carry. And from the there, Dwayne, putting running back talent aside, putting just whatever your thoughts are aside, what are the true most fantasy-friendly situations in the league? And I know some of this is based on who's there earning the touches. I still think it'll be a fun conversation. So starting things off, our big four easily. You can all see exactly how I calculate this in my handy-dandy Excel here. Like the big four, no questions asked, are Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Najee Harris, and Alvin Kamara. Dwayne, I don't think people realize like the touch pace that Kamara was kind of getting into before he got hurt we didn't have you know the chase for 81 83 receptions whatever it is that we usually are getting to but my goodness man for the first eight weeks of this year Sean Payton was running Kamara into the ground yeah for sure and it's a deal where once we saw Mark Ingram get there you know they kind of took that away um it's going to be super interesting like this is going to be huge like who's going to be the coach next of the Saints because you know one of the things behind Kamara and why we loved him so much is we had seen Sean Payton do this you know as far as really getting his backs involved in the passing game even going back to Darren Sproles right obviously Kamara was much more involved this year um, as a runner than what we had seen historically with some of the more the passing down guys but we've always seen the backfield period you know cumulatively very involved in the passing game so Kamara yeah much more um integrated into the offense than what people probably thought, like you're saying here over the early part of the season. Going to be very interested to see what happens as far as the coordinator. The other uh, just kind of wild part, I think, about this uh, big crew as I instantly mess up some of my uh, color stuff going on here. Uh, if you it's look all at- right, dude. I got to say your color scheme is ugly. As well, <laughs> anyway, so. it, is, uh, it is brutal, but at least uh, it's better than when I uh, incident- accidentally made a, you know red and green for years. And all my colorblind fa- fans are like, Ian, we can't see freaking shit out here. Uh, the one point that Christian McCaffrey, man, even just looking at the split from this last year, on pace for 125 targets, he is truly playing a different position than pretty much any other running back that we've seen. Dwayne, after those four, though, we still see a big group of guys that, again, based on their non-injured projected opportunity, would be clearing 300 combined carries and targets with ease. But as we see with some of them, you know, the disparity between rush attempts and targets just has them a little bit below that top group. So in this kind of range, there's Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, and Saquon Barkley. I think the biggest surprise of this crop for me these are still like bell cow backs like you can't complain about over 300 carries and targets in a season by any stretch but seeing Jonathan Taylor here Dwayne it makes me feel I don't know a little bit better about not again not completely missing on the guy going to last year but by not ranking him as a top three guy if you zoom out a little bit on his workload relative to what we could have expected throughout the league it's not quite as special as the production might have indicated Right. And I think with Taylor, the other thing, I think we talked about this on, on the, one of the previous pods, but 
something that still really went right for Taylor. And this is not me saying, hey, like, just like you, like, don't, I hope no one takes this as, oh my God, you've got to avoid Jonathan Taylor. That's not, it's not what we're saying. Um, but he also had a lot really go right for him as far as game scripts go, right? Yeah. The way that the Colts were able to lead as much as they were. They were Now, the Colts were a run-heavy team, no matter whether they were trailing close or leading in games. But at the same time, they were they were typically in, in really close games or they were leading. They did not trail that often. So I do think there's also some, a little bit of fragility to Jonathan Taylor's utilization. If all of a sudden next year, for some reason, let's say the Colts went 6-11, and you know, or I guess, sorry, I got to add extra game, 6-11. and 11. <laughs> I was going to say 6-10. and 10. Right. And there are more trailing scripts than not. I do think that potentially impacts Jonathan Taylor because Naheem Hines was re-signed last offseason. Right. So that we know they like him as the passing down back. I will say with Taylor, even in some um, trailing game scripts this year, they did a nice job of trying to still find ways to get him touches. So, again, not something I would be overly concerned about, but they were on the extreme good end of really the way game flow worked out for Jonathan Taylor this year. And also, uh, just seeing Cam Akers in this territory kind of shows you what his ceiling, yeah, volume-wise, could have been. Because the original article I did this, he I used their uh, efficiency and like their actual production inside their splits. And because Akers only has like five touchdowns on his 280 career touches or whatever it is, he was coming in as like the RB18 despite having such an insane touch ceiling. I mean, again, if you look at the projected touches here, it's only McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, and Cam Akers pushing over 400. Dwayne, as we saw though in that. NFC Championship game wasn't quite as lofty as it was in previous weeks. We saw Sony making that more of a 50-50 split. Still haven't seen Henderson back in the situation. Figuring out what the hell is going on with this Rams backfield in 2022 Maybe the single most important question we're going to have to answer here in the offseason. Yeah, and I think it's going to be 75. I think it'll be 70 to 75% acres, um, to be honest. Like, we'll see. It could come down to being more like a 60-40, 50-50. And I know that, you know, he hasn't been that great, really, with his touches either so far. But I'm still kind of giving him a little bit of a pass. I mean, the guy did just, like, you know, blow out his Achilles this past summer. Two terribly tough tough matchups in the playoffs, too. Yeah, yeah. We're in the playoffs. Like, all these defenses, for the most part, are pretty good, especially against the run if they want to take it away. So, yeah, I, I, I like acres a lot i think everything we've seen is really positive overall i would i would say like i haven't ran all my projections yet um you know i'm going to start working on those here in the next few weeks i don't get like too deep into them just because it's like okay we need to let the rest of the coaches land where they need to let free agency and the draft start going but i would say assuming they don't spend some sort of it with them and hardly have any draft capital but assuming they don't bring in someone else like i would have a really hard time thinking that i'm going to project cam acres for less than like 250 carries and probably 40 to 50 receptions. I kind of feel like that's his floor. Just look at this dog, man. As, as you pull up, you know, some cool Cam Akers pictures. <laughs> wow. If, if you type in Cam Akers visor on Twitter uh, or no, on Google, and Ian Hardy's Twitter tweet actually comes in uh, number two. Look at you. Look at that word I'm just trying to spread and the good people at Google are doing. So. It is a sweet visor, I got to say. It, it's a sweet visor, you know, and you got to look at that, you know, when you're trying to grind every last detail to get. I, I, why success. is there not a column? Why is there not a column <laughs> for the visor here? I'm working on it, Dwayne. It's a long off season, okay? <laughs> Next group of guys, not quite the same sort of bell cows i would kind of put these guys in a group of like hey real quick Ian, yeah, just your thoughts i know we'll get plenty of time to hit on these but like the other name the name that sticks out to me the most yeah in this tier is deandre swift oh yeah because we know that with swift so much of his work came from the game scripts now you could argue i mean really how much better could the lions be next year I, we'll see like we don't even know yet like we have no move we have no idea of what any of the moves are going to be to this point but 
looking at Swift, he's the one that worries me the most just as far as potential volatility. Some of these guys could change teams, right? Like Fournette, that could, obviously that would be a big one, but most of the rest, like Swift is the one where I'm like, man, like he was not, he wasn't an every down back early in, ga- in games. He really became the every down guy when they were losing and the coaching staff is going to be back. Now they, I think, um, so the coordinator situation is going to change. So that could have something to do with it. But Swift is the one that I'm like, like it feels the most shaky that's in that tier. The thing with Swift, it just comes down to Kenny keep getting those targets. I mean, based on these splits, you have McCaffrey in a tier of his own with 125 projected targets. Leonard Fournette, 104, and DeAndre Swift right there at 103. We'll see if Jared Goff's back there for another year. God forbid, Dwayne, if we do get one of these dual-threat quarterbacks in that's not as interested in dumping it down all the time, that's where Swift is going to take the biggest downgrade. But Swift is the one that could also jump into the tier above, right? That's because true. he is so he's so heavily utilized. He's he's a guy that's like he has a really high ceiling, but his mm-hmm. floor might be a little lower than some of these other guys. It's it's interesting. And he's already been fine enough. Like we, we just know he has this crazy ceiling in his range of possibilities. When I had Nate List on the podcast talking Dynasty, like he has Swift, I think it was RB two overall in Dynasty, and I was kind of taken aback by it. I wouldn't rank him RB2, but, you know, you start listing these other running backs, and Dwayne, you know, I think we kind of go through this in our rankings some weeks uh, where you're initially taken aback by it, but then when you start actually trying to line up the players, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense as you get into I mean, To me, it's pretty straightforward. Like, if you're a, a huge dynasty junkie, like, look at the list. Like, Swift is one of the youngest players on this list, and he catches passes. Yep. Like, that's there honestly you <laughs> your cheat code. Are you young, and do you catch passes? Like, that's that's huge. And that's what's really hurting um, most of the backs in our next tier. Josh Jacobs, as we saw, you know, okay, once we started losing Kenyon Drake, losing Jalen Richard, uh, Peyton Barber wasn't active, everything was fine, but it's just really been a struggle through the first three years of his career for him to see those consistent receptions. And even when he got really like a career high in 2021 and made good use of them, just I think being on that Raiders offense, maybe not being leaned on quite as heavily as past years on the ground was ultimately why he's uh, just outside of the RB1 tier. Dave Malcolm Montgomery, I factored in if Tariq Cohen had been uh, active here. Because I should remember, man, Montgomery. That's what I was going to ask you about. How did Montgomery come out so low? I would have thought he would have been in the tier above. Yep, it's only because Tariq Cohen was in here. And when we saw Tariq out there, dude, like Montgomery, capable receiver, but they would give Tariq a good portion of that. So, yeah, for Montgomery and uh, James Robinson, I believe I just took off 30% of their receiving uh, production. The first me. question for Matt Nagy when he had his interview is, how are you going to use Tariq Cohen? <laughs> I just hope bro's okay, man. That dude spent the entire season on uh, the IR list. Uh, otherwise, Raheem Mostert, if he had never gotten hurt, this is basically what Elijah Mitchell like would have done uh, you, if he had did this for your, you only did this for yourself. I just let's be honest. You put Raheem Mostert in here. It's it's purely for Ian. I one game. I came not up with this. I came up with this entire new podcast concept purely to get Raheem for Mostert, Mostert <laughs> in here. Antonio Gibson kind of shows you where he is when JD McKissick is actually healthy. Aaron Jones having to deal with AJ Dillon. Nick Chubb having to deal with Kareem Hunt and Zeke having to deal with. Uh, I, you know, Tony Pollard a little bit more, I think, than we uh, even realize, obviously playing through a lot of pain as well. Dwayne, you know, feel free to go off on whoever. But for me, I think the big question ahead of next year in this group is what to exactly make of Zeke. And I've already seen some of the tweets, people throwing out, you know, forget about the per game numbers. He finished us the RB6 this year. What more do you people want? He's only, you know, two years older than Tony Pollard. With that said, man, the floor did seem lower than ever for Zeke this year. Are you going back to the well with Elliott as a top 12 back ahead of 2022 on today, February 1st? No, 
No. no. Wow. And I, I don't I don't I had Zeke as a do not draft last year, but part of it was because he cost, you know, the first round draft capital was right. the issue. Um so I, I mean I'm I will be off of Zeke. I wanna say I've got him outside of my top twenty right now. Whew. Ahead of the curve, Mr. McFarlane. I'm doing all this stuff, and you're like, no, he's, he's not in this freaking top 12. Why, why the hell would he <laughs> Hey, be? look, man, I'm a Cowboys fan. I would love for Zeke to have a comeback. And let's be honest, like the knee was a problem down yep. the stretch. And I do think there were flashes of, of what we had seen from Zeke in the past early in the season. And right when he was really starting, I thought, to get going is about when the injury you know occurred. Yep. So I, I, I think that he can be better than he was this past year, to be fair. I still think the Cowboys offense can be really good. Um, so, I mean, there's a chance, right? I think the upside for Zeke is not that he's going to be in every down back again, Ian. I think Pollard's here to stay. And I think he, I think the Cowboys want Pollard to do well. And I think that, you know, he's going to have his role. But I think the upside for Zeke is you could, till, you could still tell yourself a story where the Cowboys are really good and he scores 15 or 20 touchdowns. Like, that's how Zeke blows out his, you know, whatever we project him for next year. That's how he tops it. That was one of my, uh, I was looking back on my, like, really longer. And I actually said they were PFF Lily's season goals, so I kind of saved myself there. Like, oh, I didn't say this. This was my wiener dog. So <laughs> you, can't, uh, you can't hold me accountable for that. But one of them was. I've got to find somebody to pawn some of these takes off on. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them was Zeke's, uh, you know, potential to score 20-plus touchdowns. And to your point, Dwayne, here looking at some of our handy-dandy PFF tools, like, he was regularly grading out great in the first right five there, weeks. Yeah. yeah, and, like, this isn't, you can say, well, oh, PFF grades, we don't trust those whatever look at any of these stats the dude's averaging 7.2 5.6 5.2 yours per carries forcing missed tackles and then you just see things get rough the rest of the way and you know credit to the cowboys Dwayne, because i feel like in past years they kind of would have been like hey zeke's our running back he needs to get 20 carries uh, a game you know forever but this is kind of why he is lower on this list i think than maybe would have expected because the cowboys did really start to limit those carries and get pollard more and more involved all right, uh, just a couple of final notes here. You know, in this kind of last tier, this is outside the top 20. Got guys like Miles Gaskin, Cordero Patterson, Devin Singletary, Broncos running backs, Claude Edwards Solaire, who we talked about a lot. Cardinals backs, Miles Sanders. I mean, I think what this kind of shows uh, for one is the touchdown equity that James Conner was able to really get, not out of nowhere, but just if you want to kind of point some guys where, hey, in 2022, it's going to take a lot for things to go as well as they did in 2021. I do think Connor uh, fits that criteria. And then there's some of these situations like in Philly, um, again, like in uh, Kansas City, and then like in Buffalo. Dude, you got to make like your font wide or something on this. Like this is, this is okay. brutal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll work on that in the future. Good notes there, uh, Dwayne, but you know, sorry, I'm, I'm just messing with you. There we Look go. Look at that. See, I can read it now. Now we're freaking <laughs> grooving, but basically I again, took some of those main guys and just look at the biggest overachievers and underachievers. So some of the overachievers, again, I mentioned Connor. We talked about Jonathan Taylor a little bit. Austin Eckler. I don't think anyone, I mean, the big knock on him was the potential to score touchdowns. We didn't expect him to finish with freaking, you know, 18 or 20 or the hell he got up to um also gotta look at you know dobbins using last year's usage it's tough to average six yards per carry uh every single year kareem hunt Cordero patterson uh derrick henry and Najee harris Dwayne, anyone out of that group that you're just like kind of worried about going in next year like what are we gonna make of jk dobbins because we did see this ravens offense get a little more pass happy and if only dobbins was coming back that'd be great sign me up but we know lamar's still gonna be running the ball and gus edwards is coming back as well 
Yeah, we'll get the bus, Gus the bus back yeah. as well. So, but, but I think it probably will just be isolated, hopefully down to those two, um, because we had seen in the year in the in the year previous, right? And we saw some this year, but really three guys involved. I mean, we'll we'll just have to read it. The the beauty with Dobbins is he does play on an offense that even though they're going to run the they run the ball more or sorry pass the ball more than they have historically, I think they'll fall a little bit more back into the run game because I think efficiency is how they want to win through the, through the air. I don't think they want Lamar dropping back and throwing the ball all of the time. Um, I, I think it'll be somewhere in between, right? Where we saw the Ravens before and where we saw the Ravens this past year, where they dropped back to pass over 60% of the time. Um, so I'm, I'm still going to like Dobbins just because he's young, you know, he's young legs, fresh legs, and, you know, it's in an offense that we know can be explosive. And I'm hoping that the price tag, you know, isn't too nutty on him. Kareem Hunt was an interesting one on your list um, because, like, out of the gate this year, Kareem Hunt was really playing well. Like, until he got hurt, like, I mean, he was in the top 10 fantasy backs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think we pretty much know what it's going to be, right? Hunt's going to get the passing down work, going to be the closer, whereas Chubb, you know, gets everything else in between. Quick underachievers talked about Cam Akers a little bit already. Saquon Barkley uh, hit this criteria. That's the kind of life when you're playing the New York Giants offense. Najee Harris, you know, pretty much like the standout running back in terms of fantasy points below expectation what we would have thought of. Salvin Ahmed for some reason, Mike Davis, and Miles Sanders. Sanders is another interesting one, Dwayne, because I feel like he's going to be a guy probably, you know, deservedly ranked outside of a lot of people's top 20, but because he's so cheap, I think we're going to have some truthers emerging saying he should still get behind a number one running back in the Philadelphia Eagles offense. What say you? Because we can't go two straight seasons with this amount of touches, not scoring a touchdown. The problem is like Hertz seemingly isn't going anywhere. And like beyond the bad touchdown luck, I still think we got to look long and hard at not only targets, but the reality that like he couldn't really sustain a takeover in this backfield throughout the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be big on Miles Sanders. Look, he's going to be in the dead zone, and I think he's a back that belongs to be in the dead zone. I think one of the things we'll really focus on this year is like, you know, because dead zone isn't the dead zone just because that's what we call it, right? There's a profile of backs that you really want to avoid in that range. And I think Sanders is going to be definitely in the middle of that, whereas there's going to be some other guys like maybe even a Dobbins, and some of it depends. Not all dead zone backs are created equal, right? It could start in the fourth round and last through the seventh or eighth round. You know, an eighth round, you know, dead zone running back, you know, may not be as bad as a fourth rounder. So I think some of it will depend on ADP. But just looking, you know, at this list, Sanders is one that I steered away from this past year. I probably will continue to do so for the same reasons you just mentioned. He hasn't been able to take over the backfield. He played behind a great offensive line that stayed really healthy this year. Like we don't know, there could be variance with that next year. Not a lot of role in the passing game, despite that being kind of part of what we thought he would be good at like this is three years in a row where he just hasn't been that good in the passing game um so with sanders yeah a player that i'm not that interested in the guy that i'm probably the most interested in like on this is saquon yeah. because we know that injury played a role it's just a matter of how much role like is saquon barkley as explosive as when he came out of penn state probably not will he ever be again in his life probably not but like 90 percent of saquon is still going to be more than most backs i just want to see a fully healthy saquon barkley um, if that, you know, if you get that and you get a coordinator that can come in and just stabilize, you know, if we get stabilization from Brian DeBall, um, I don't know who their offensive coordinator will be. I know Dorsey's going to end up staying with Josh Allen. Um, I, I think Barkley is a player that, you know, could still really produce huge dividends in fantasy and we've seen him do it before. 
everyone. I want to give take this moment to invite you to our lead sponsors today, DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on either team in the Super Bowl. Again, that's $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Make sure you're 21 plus. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and stay specific responsible gaming resources. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text to T. And Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877 or text HOPANY 467-369. Also want to invite you all to go to pff.com. From now until February 14th, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code SUPER25. With that subscription, you can get all of our locked article content betting dashboards, NFL green line player prop tools, the NFL draft guide, and so, so much more. So support the pod. Use promo code SUPER25 for 25% off any sub. We appreciate all of you. Dwayne, as I get readjusted after reading our lovely sponsors, let's talk some wide receivers now. We've both wrote and written, I should say, wrote, written, whatever the hell you're supposed to say in the English language, a lot about the topic here in recent weeks. And we both kind of took some different uh, approaches to exactly what's going on. So basically, I went through, first of all, and wanted to compile the potential available targets for all these wide receivers and just really the passing games in general. So available targets, I went to our Find friends at overthecap.com, took their projected free agents for every team, removed them from the equation from what we saw in 2021. And these teams that you can see on, on my lovely screen, the Cardinals, the Buccaneers, the Packers, Chargers, Falcons, Dolphins, Cowboys, and Titans are far and away the top squads in terms of available targets. Now, it's not that all goes into assessing how a wide receiver is going to do. There are other situations like the Jets, the football team, the Texans, the Bears, and the Chiefs. You know, they're all within 50 targets of the Titans. And looking at some of those rooms, you know, I think the Bears and football team in particular, you could even see some of the, you know, incumbent starters getting taken over by a reasonable enough talent. And I think that can also be said about the Saints, Patriots, Lions, and Jaguars, who, again, are not too far behind. So a lot goes into this, Dwayne. A lot goes into it, but that doesn't mean we can't try to figure out exactly what the best move is. So my number one team, though, that I think can best support a fantasy-friendly wide receiver in the year 2022 is the Arizona Cardinals. Literally everyone other than DeAndre Hopkins is done like with this squad like everyone Christian Kirk AJ Green Zach Ertz, Chase Edmonds James Connors Antoine Wesley I'm not saying these guys won't all come back but it's Hopkins and then it's Rondale Moore and that's it Dwayne I think it goes down like to one or two targets or like maybe it's seven that like the next highest guy has so again a lot of these guys will be back but this is Kyler Murray and as that's not good as he you know has looked for a couple stretches here and there specifically the last time we saw him in the playoff game I still think man the best version of this offense can enable more than one high-end fantasy receiver. We know that'll be a healthy Hopkins. Who could it be otherwise, Dwayne? Because as much as it could be Rondale Moore, at this point, I'm kind of like, I'll believe it when I see Cliff Kingsbury able to use one of his talented second-round receivers. What are you thinking about this Arizona Cardinals offense? Who could you see coming in and really stepping up to be you know, the Robin to Hopkins Batman? Yeah, I haven't looked at their cap situation as far as what's available. So like what kind of, you know, I don't know if you have any of that off the top of your head, like what kind of talent could they actually afford, right, to bring in? 
Um, but, you know, looking at Hopkins and what he does, really he's the possession receiver. They typically put him on the backside of like these bunch formations, et cetera, et cetera. They get man covers, they go to Hopkins, right? If they don't, on the other side, they've got a bunch. They've either got trips, right? They may run doubles tight, all that kind of stuff. And they're just scheming it up, right? And the guy that goes underneath is who you just mentioned, Rondell Moore. So it will be interesting. Can you use Rondell Moore as more than like a negative dot player? Like, come on, let's go. Let's get him like the ball, like five yards down the field. That would be, you know, amazing. Like let him run some drag, let him do some different things. And I do think that the route tree will expand for Rondell Moore this year. Obviously, you know, if Christian Kirk moves on, AJ Green is out, like it has to, right? He can't just keep doing the one same thing. And then you just have, you know, Hopkins on the backside of a route. So I'm going to be excited about Rondell Moore. I do think this is an opportunity. Now he will have to earn that, right? He's got to earn these targets just because they're available doesn't mean that they automatically, you know, go to someone. Um, I don't like, you know, I've, I've heard some people mention Michael Gallup. I feel like that's more of kind of the same thing as what you have with Hopkins, right? A guy you would ISO if you get man or match coverage on the backside, even if he's covered, you throw it to him. Um, some guys that I think you could potentially see, like Russell Gage, you know, I thought played well. This last year, Ian, you know, I mean, he graded, you know, if you look at all the free agent um, wide receivers, he's the fifth highest PFF grade. It's a 76 overall, um, fifth fifth highest in yards per route run um, at a 1.96. So, I mean, this is a guy that's gotten better over the last two seasons. He can work inside in the slot. He can work outside. And it wasn't just all underneath stuff. It wasn't just all slot. So you can move him all over the formation. This last year, he actually faced single man coverage. Um, and he was only in the slot 49% of the time, but whenever he faced, um, you know, single man, that was a little bit more of a problem for him, but it was still good. It was above the NFL average as far as getting open, um, which had been something he had been challenged with earlier in his career. So I think he has progressed. And so he's a guy like that I think could come in, you know, for the Cardinals and do a lot of different things for them. If they want someone though, that could really stretch the vertical boundary. Like what about Mike Williams? Cause he can play outside. Ooh. He can get deep. He can stay on the field all the time. He can he can run block. Um, I think Mike Williams is probably the most intriguing. I just, you know, as a fit for their team, Godwin is really kind of more like Hopkins. He's going to really work more intermediate underneath like a Z. So I think that if you want to get, you know, a, another receiver that can stretch the vertical boundary and stay out there all the time, Mike Williams is probably the one that gets the most interest for me when I think about what the Cardinals need. Would be the next greatest in the long line of Cardinals receivers with cool dreadlocks too. Fitz to Hopkins <laughs> to Mike Williams, man. It just all adds up. I love the Russell Gage call. I think, you know, depending on what team he gets to, he's going to be one of these, you know, just underrated additions. And, yeah, just for the love of God, stop hurdling, man. You're going to get your freaking – self-killed if you keep on doing that after i was call- watching film i was watching film on russell gage earlier this week and i like saw the two hurdle plays right away i just started cracking up because i remembered our pot oh my god poor russell he we put on the spin move like two games later spin moves he, beautiful he just keep found the circle the button and remember he can pass bro russell gage was pff's highest graded passer in 2020 he threw two balls and they were both absolute <laughs> dimes it's too bad julio dropped one of them would have been a touchdown oh well Another squad to look out for, the Chicago Bears. Allen Robinson is a free agent, 66 targets left behind. But so are Marquise Goodwin, Demir Bird, Jimmy Graham. He cannot be traded, but he can be a free agent. Damian Williams, Shaquem Grant, Jesse James, Jesper Horsett, and Ryan Nall. Basically, we only have Darnell Mooney sitting there to take over the wide receiver room. Cole Komet at tight end. So, you know, Dwayne, the thing with Justin Fields, I get it. He wasn't spectacular. He did actually flash, though. Like, And I know... 
every rookie quarterback, even Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, had a couple good throws. But, like, Fields was legitimately, I believe, um, fifth in total big-time throw rate this season. Like, we saw it happening time and time again. I even put together a fancy little video of some of his throws on my Twitter. So, while you guys peep some of that out and Dwayne goes and tells us what receiver the Bears should look to be adding in free agency. And why, Dwayne? Could it be Chris Goblin? Yeah, I think Godwin could be a really good fit. You know, if you want to use Mooney more as, you know, on the outside, you want to stretch the field with him. Um, He really showed that he can do, you know, pretty much all of it so far. I mean, he's not an elite receiver or anything yet, but he's he's operated really at all depths of the field. They move him around some. But I think Godwin is really the guy that could come in and operate intermediate underneath, um, give you some tough run after the catch type yards. And then you let Mooney really be more about taking the top off. You let Komet work the seams. I think you could do some interesting things, you know, if you were able to bring someone like, you know, Godwin over. So like when I, when I look at the teams for Godwin, um, I think he best fits really honestly as a number two. Now that doesn't mean he couldn't lead the team in targets, but I really think he needs to be the guy working more intermediate. Doesn't he's, he's really never been a great vertical field stretcher. Like that's just not been part of his game. That doesn't mean it would never work. It's just at this point, like we've seen Chris Godwin for long enough. Like it seems like, you know, it would be something we we would, if it was re- if he was really good at it, like it seems like he probably would have been used more in right. that way. So I think he's best as a Z, you know, or a flanker receiver. And then a guy that can kick inside when you go to 11 personnel, um, and he gives you that rack, you know, catch, you know, opportunity. So I think he'd work for the Bears. I think he could work, you know, I don't think that, I don't know what the Chiefs cap situation looks like, but he could work on any of these other teams, like probably not the best fit with, you know, some of these other teams you have just because they've already got a receiver that does that kind of thing. But I think it would be really good for the Bears. Um, I think he could work with the Chiefs too. Chiefs, and I got the cap space right up here. Uh, now Look, anybody can work with the Chiefs. What are we saying? Like, if they bring in a good receiver, <laughs> we're all going to be excited, um, you know, like, because we'd love to see Even a bad receiver. Home. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to be excited. It doesn't matter who it is. Like, if Russell Gage signed with the Chiefs, we would all be like, okay, wide receiver three, wide receiver two, what are we doing? We're talking yeah. overall, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chiefs, overall, exactly. Chiefs have some available cap room, and I understand we can say that, you know, the whole salary cap's a figment of all of our imaginations. Uh, you know, even for the Saints, uh, Nick Underhill had a real nice video over on his Twitter explaining how they can, uh, you know, kind of move things down the road again and still make something out of nothing. But, yeah, the Chiefs, plenty of room. The Bears, really, though, plenty of room to go get Justin Fields another weapon. We like Darnell Mooney. There's nothing wrong with Darnell Mooney. I don't want to see this be like another Indianapolis Colts situation of the 2010s though where it's like great we got T.Y. Houghton screw adding another really good receiver for 10 plus years with all due respect to late career Andre Johnson and even Dante Moncrief for a year or two. Dwayne after the Bears I would have to say the Kansas City Chiefs are right there as well. You already kind of talked about them. But basically, what they do with these complimentary receivers is going to decide everything. Because right now, it's Tyreek Hill. It's Travis Kelsey. And beyond that, we cannot figure anything out. They tried to figure this out a couple years ago when they signed Sammy Watkins to a bigger deal per year than what Kelsey is currently on. But now, it's, it's Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, and Miko Hardman. Maybe Miko finally takes that step forward. He had a nice over-the-shoulder catch against the Bengals. 
Bengals uh, in the ill-fated AFC Championship. But when we see them consistently playing Pringle and Robinson ahead of Miko, even after now having three years with the team, uh, you do wonder if he's ever going to be anything more than just kind of a jet sweep gadget guy. So with the Chiefs, Dwayne, I think it's an interesting enough situation where we can see, you know, guys like Odo Beckham, maybe even Antonio Brown, if someone wants to give them that shot again. Not, you know, just A-B aside, all I mean is like the veteran wide receivers that would be willing to take a one-year lesser contract just to go play with Patrick Mahomes and company in Kansas City. So even if they don't have the most cap room ever with, you know, Mr. $450 million under center, this is still a team, man, that we could see a Juju Smith-Schuster type talent where maybe they can go get more money elsewhere, go ahead and quote-unquote settle for Kansas City. Yeah. A guy that I would like with the Chiefs would be Christian Kirk. Um, because nice. They run Ooh, I love that. Let's go. They, yeah, they run 11 personnel a lot. And then we've – so that would give Kirk a chance to work inside. So Kirk's been really good from the slot. So his yards per route run, uh, 1.75 over the last two years inside. But once you kick him outside, it drops to 1.31. So we know with the Chiefs, they like to move these guys around all over the field. But what I like about Christian Kirk – um, he's a good route runner. He can separate, but he also still has deep speed, right? So he, he keeps that defense always has to still be guessing. They can't just hone in and say, oh, Kirk's the slot. Like if you get Juju, like everybody knows what he's doing. He's not going down the field. He's going to run like a three-yard drag. He's going to run a slant route. And not to say those things can't be good, but I think Kirk can do those things, give you better run after the catch at this point. We just haven't seen Juju be the same. That used to be one of his calling cards, right, is that ability to run after the catch. And we've already got Tyree Kill can, who can do that, right? Tyree Kill's the guy they put in motion. They get him in the drags. They put him in the bunches, all that kind of stuff where he can't get bumped. So you don't really need to design a lot of the stuff like that for a guy like Juju. What I like about Christian Kirk is if you do that, like say you come out in bunch, you let um, Tyreek Hill run that underneath drag, right? You got Kelsey running the seam and then you could have really, you know, Kirk on the outside of that off offset from the line, really running kind of that, you know, more of a wheel route. It's really a go. You're just lined up inside and then you're going deep. So I just feel like with Kirk, he can run more of the route tree and, th and threaten the vertical boundary, which I think yeah. is what Patrick Mahomes probably wants as well, because then you can still threaten, right? Some of these two deep looks like so far, we've just seen them have to try to do it with really only two guys. And let's face it, Pringle, we like him, but he's really more of an underneath option. He's not really great down the field. Whereas with Kirk, we've seen him make some definite magic with Kyler Murray. And he seems to have a real knack at making the plays like once the quarterback breaks the pocket, which is another huge part of Patrick Mahomes' game. So I think Christian Kirk is a name I would be very interested in, and he would be affordable seeing him land somewhere like the Chiefs. Another AFC West situation to really keep an eye on is with the Los Angeles Chargers. Talked earlier about Mike Williams being a free agent, but so are Jared Cook, Steven Anderson, Donald Parham, even though he's exclusive rights, basically all their tight ends. We also have Jalen Guyton and uh, backup running back Justin Jackson potentially taking their talents elsewhere um, in addition to them. So, you know, Guyton is someone that uh, he, he's my. I, I think the Chargers will probably treat him as more valuable than a lot of other teams. And he's done good things in Los Angeles, but at the same time, he's not necessarily ingrained enough, I think, in three wide receiver sets to necessarily keep his job uh, if someone else big time comes there. So, Dwayne, 
assuming we'll say that Mike Williams is not back in Los Angeles, because if he is, then we know what we're getting. And that's someone that can push for a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns year in and year out with enough targets. Like, well, I would like to live in a world one day where Justin Herbert is not 20 freaking fifth and, you know, <laughs> average uh, depth of target. And I think that could be great if you still have Mike Williams on the outside. But if you take Mike out of the picture, obviously Keenan Allen's still going to be getting fed. But all of a sudden, man, Josh Palmer dynasty stock starts to shoot up. And man, we got Herbert there. And like I said, all the tight ends are gone as well. Eckler will continue to get his, but this looks like a passing game, Dwayne, that could add one of these higher end wide receivers, all the cap room in the world in Los Angeles, the second most effective cap space behind only the Dolphins. We could be looking at a pretty dangerous three wide receiver set featuring Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer, and a player to be named later. Yeah, um, I mean, two names for me. I guess there's three names on, on on this team. So, and I think about like what the team already has, right? So Keenan Allen can work the inside, right? He can work inside the numbers. He can work in that five to ten yard depth of target. He can he can work deep some too. That's really where he wins, right? He wins inside against a lot of the zone coverage. He's just you know he's got great feel for it. You know he and Herbert are on the same page with that stuff. He can beat anybody in man coverage, zone coverage. He can do all those things. And then you've got Palmer who could really work more intermediate and deep. And I think he's really, you know, we'll see what happens. But like in the small sample size we saw this year, like he did some really nice things like what yeah. you're talking about. So it's like the thing, though, that I think they're they're missing, period, right, is speed. And so the names that come to mind for me are actually some of the, the guys. I don't know where they'll come in as far as pay, but like, man, Will Fuller, a healthy Will Fuller Ooh. on the outside with Justin Herbert and with the arm that he has. I think Will Fuller would do something for this team that, that they can't get from anyone else they have on the team. Currently, this is Guyton, right, filling this role. And I think Will Fuller, yes, people are going to have a sour taste in their mouth because, you know, he broke a finger and missed the whole season, you know, this year. Obviously, you and I talked about it. There's probably something going on behind the scenes. Who knows if it's a mental health thing um, and the Dolphins were just being cool with him, like trying not to put air out, you know, what's going on in his personal life. We just don't know the whole story with Fuller. But we know on his archetype receiver, like these deep, you know, threat receivers, you know, and, and yeah, they can be dinged up, but like they don't always lose their speed, you know, like when they hit 28, 29, 30, like some of these guys with the elite level speed, like what we have with Fuller, they can play like this well into their thirties. I mean, we saw it with Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. It kind of started. It's finally the last couple of years caught up with him and health has always been a problem, but the speed is there. So I think Fuller is a name that I like. Um, if not Fuller, I think DJ Chark is still an interesting name uh, because we know he has the ability to stretch that field vertically. Um, he he started to flash. To his rookie year was kind of a toss out. Year two, he really looked good. Year three, he had a, he was really inconsistent. He had some good games, some bad games, and then this last year, obviously the injury happened. Really wasn't you know on the same page at all with Trevor Lawrence. You know, and, and a lot of that may be DJ Chark's fault. Who knows? But he is a guy that we know can stretch the field vertically as well. Um, he's not as fast as Will Fuller, but a bigger frame. You know, he's a 6'4 guy. So I think someone like that, right, that can just work that outer boundary. And they may, they may decide to attack that in the draft. But I think those are two names. The other name, and who knows if they would want to do this, but I feel like if there's a coach that could manage like the – just really the locker room, the atmosphere. He's got a team that's totally bought into him, kind of uh -oh. like the way the Rams are with McVay. I think it's AB, man. Like Antonio Woo! Brown can still do everything. Um, you know, I mean, dude, it like it blew me away, Ian. When I did my research for the article last week and I got to reading it, I knew Antonio Brown was going to like do well, like across the metrics, just because I had looked at this stuff all year because we're doing rankings and everything else. But man, like – 
when I really dug into it, like he has the second best PFF uh, receiving grade of all the free agents. And it's, it's way up there. Like Adams is number one, 92.7. Antonio Brown's an 87.1. Then you got Godwin at 79.4. You got Mike Williams at 77.6. And then you got Russell Gage at 76. So those are your top five. So he's way up there though, an 87.4. But the thing I love about Brown he is one of the only two receivers that are available right now in free agency that actually was able to eclipse the 30% targets per route run against man and zone coverage. And he was able to eclipse the two yards per route run against man and zone coverage. So a guy that can still do everything. And man, once I took out like a lot of the noise from some of the separation stuff that I've been working on and took out the throws where obviously the defense is just giving up an underneath pass. So say it's it's third and 15 and, and you're in man off coverage and you run a seven yard hook. Like the defender doesn't care. You didn't have to get open. You're just open. It's it, yeah. you're underneath the coverage, right? It's almost like throwing a swing pass to a running back, right? Whenever a team's in prevent defense, you didn't have to work to get open. And so I took all of those plays away. And once I did and just really tried to isolate down to when players were truly having to see coverage, Antonio Brown created a step or more of separation, an NFL high 78% of the time. He faced single zone, uh, single, sorry, single man coverage that also did include uh, match coverages, which basically okay. it starts off as zone but turns into man. And so 78% of the time he created a step or more. So, um, and also, like if you look at him on his team, he faced more double or help coverage than Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski. So defensive coordinators also knew this. They were clearly giving more resources to Antonio Brown when he was available than Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, or Rob Gronkowski. So who knows if he gets another shot? Who knows if, you know, he can keep things straight and, you know, make it through a training camp? I don't know. Like we can't pretend to figure that stuff out. But what I can tell you is in between the lines, he's still playing at an elite, elite level. The, the cliff can come fast. He'll be 34 years um, of age this next season. But right now, like in, with his style he plays in, it's not all trusting speed. Like he was never a blazing speed guy, um, but just can get open, can get open. And he still has great run after the catch ability. So Antonio Brown is a guy, he could play anywhere. He really could. Like he's got to go figure out how to fit in. But like he... He and Devontae Adams are the two that no matter what the scheme in is, no matter what you ask them to do, like they can they can do it. What's so funny with AB is like one of his critiques coming out after he left, leaves the Buccaneers is this idea that he wasn't being featured ahead of Evans and Goblin. It's like, bro, you had the highest targets per snap rate in the entire <laughs> league, like easily the most on the Buccaneers. But like I got a PFF ultimate pulled up right now, fed more often than Cooper Cup, than Devontae Adams, than A.J. Brown. Like, A.V., you had the best quarterback of all time feeding you more than any other player in the game. You know, it just wasn't meant to be. But like you said, Dwayne, between the lines, man, you just can't take anything away from the guy. And that's like, you know, I'm already upset about the, uh, you know, inevitable, uh, you know, pushing back his Hall of Fame case. Uh, they're going to pull a little T.O. on him. Call him, you know, this and that. But, you know, again, when you just look at what he did as a football player, hard to come up with truly any negatives. Last team I want to quickly talk about here is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, A.B.'s former employer. Chris Goblin could be on the move. Rob Gronkowski, like Dwayne, if he's – do we even need a retirement like notice from him? I think we all just like there's no way he's coming back without Tom Brady. I think it'd be funny if he announces it on a USAA commercial. It actually maybe <laughs> get me to watch those for a, a change. That's not the line, Frank. It's like, look, I'm I'm a veteran now. I can't get my uh, insurance. No, Gronk, you're not, we're not freaking gonna do insurance fraud for you. Just uh, I, 
I love I love Gronk, but those those commercials are such a beating. <laughs> like, why is Gronk trying to commit insurance fraud? Like, I just answer that question for me. Why why, why do we all want like Terry Bradshaw's money? Like, come on, like I'll just take seventy five thousand. Why does it have to be out of Terry's like freaking wallet? You think that makes me feel better about the situation here? Anyway. Rob Gronkowski, seemingly gone. The backfield is going to be reshuffled with Fournette, Geo, and Ronald Jones, all free agents. And even behind Gronk, man, O.J. Howard's going to be a free agent as well. So I get it. Tom Brady has now considered his wife and his kids, you know, for once. He is retired. He is not in the picture. Clearly, this is not as fantasy-friendly of a situation. Let's say Kyle Trask is there, though, Dwayne, because at that point, okay, Mike Evans, alpha number one. But I think there might be enough room in this offense for at least a second guy to come in because, again, tight ends wide open, running backs wide open. They don't need, like, look, those Bucks teams with Jameis Winston certainly weren't going anywhere in the playoffs. That didn't stop them from having several high-end fantasy wide receivers at the same time. I'm not saying Trask will be Jameis Winston, but whoever winds up being a number two pass game option in Tampa Bay could be a nice little hidden fantasy gem. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Bruce Arians does here, right? Um, he's, he's pretty much always had a, a veteran quarterback that he can come out and run his 11 personnel with. Um, they need someone that can work from the slot. And who knows, like, do they start to work Mike Evans more from the slot like they did in the playoffs? Because Evans, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And if you think about it, there's been a lot of receivers that have really converted from playing more on the outside to more on the inside. Um, really with that bigger frame. So with Bruce Arians, you go back and you think about Heinz Ward. He wasn't huge, right? Six footer. Uh, you had Reggie Wayne. He started working inside. Now that was back with Andrew Luck with the Colts. Then you had Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, who kicked inside, you know, while he was with, uh, you know, Arians with the Cardinals. So I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity, you know, here for, Evans to potentially move inside, you know, but any one of these guys, like does, does Arians bring one of them in, right. And move them, you know, Godwin really is the best fit. Like Godwin would be the guy. If I were them, I would really be wanting to get back. He's the player they know. He's the youngest, um, you know, of the guys that fit like this mold. Um, but I really think any, any, any player that, you know, has got decent size that we hear rumors that they could kick inside. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be all over it. Right. Because Again, we talk about these coaching trends. Some are really true, some are not. Like, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't want to use just one running back. Yeah, that's pretty strong. That goes back about 20 years. I think we can trust yeah. it <laughs> at this point. There are going to be roles. Well, the other one is Bruce Arians, you know, in the big slot receiver. Like, it's just he's had it every single place, you know, that he's went. So it'll Juju? be interesting to see who can they sign. Like, go Juju? ahead, sorry. You think it could yeah, be Juju? Juju could work. Yeah. I even think, you know, a guy like Michael Gallup, like if he if he brings them in and says they're going to play inside, like he has my attention because that player has always had a heavy target share in his offense. Usually gets to work, you know, that 8 to 12 A dot range. You know, you're going to get a better completion rate there. Um, but I do think it could be Evans. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that, like I said, down the stretch. So that's a huge thing. Obviously, we got to get the quarterback situation figured out, too. I really think he's going to want to bring in a veteran. That's another thing that he's pretty much always had. So a lot of dominoes still to fall uh, in Tampa. But they need everything, right? You, Gronk was attacking the middle field. Like you mentioned, he's gone. Godwin was more inter intermediate. Um and then you've got, you know, the backfield is a mess. So all the underneath stuff. So it's 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 going to be a complete reshuffle. But they've got a great 
nucleus as far as the offensive line goes. So I think there is a good shot, like if they can get the right quarterback in, that they can still be highly productive as an offense, just because we've seen Arians do it for so long. He's been able to make this stuff work for a long time. And it hasn't always been, you know, he hasn't had Brady. You know, we saw what he did, you know, even with Jameis, um, you know, despite all the turnovers. But like you can go back to Carson Palmer, had some nice years there at the end of his career. Um, so I think, you know, even going back to um, – well, I guess that was all Ben earlier in his career um, with Arians. Did he was he with anybody else in Pittsburgh? I think it was pretty. God, Ben was just there ben. so long. It's just Ben. Like Ben, Ben was here like when the NFL started, right? <laughs> Basically, he went <laughs> he from Bart Star, and you know. it was Ben Carson Paul, Ben Andrew Luck to Carson Palmer to uh, Jameis to Brady. What to a Brady. freaking uh, yeah, yeah. What little five QB stretch there. The thing with Evans. Like with Brady and I got, you know, Evans here by your stats pulled up. Okay. We got 27 touchdowns over the past two regular seasons. Like no one was missing Mike Evans. The dude was putting up huge points, but you look at the target totals. Like this dude had 181 targets with Jameis under center in 2016, 164 the previous year. Like he was regularly flirting with like the potential league high market targets when Jameis was back there slinging it. Brady, he was distributing it around again. Evans, like when Goblin and AB were there, he was, usually the third musketeer in that equation so don't you know count out the potential for Evans to get back to being an elite wide receiver one just based on that volume because yeah I'm sure the efficiency will drop off a little bit I take the under on 14 touchdowns next year but Dwayne if they don't make like a really if they don't bring Goblin back if it's you know more of a DJ Chark type filling I know he doesn't fit the slot type if it's more of like a Russell Gage guy as opposed to like making a serious investment at that wide receiver two spot, like even without Brady, man, it's Evans could be one of these guys that we're pinpointing where he's being priced like a wide receiver two, even though he's now got the opportunity of a wide receiver one. Right. And I think, you know, he's a player that, you know, we'll have to balance out that the age is getting up there. And for the archetype of player that he is, which is a bigger receiver that wins downfield more than often, more often than not. Right. And, you know, those guys can start to diminish like it can hit pretty quickly. But I think that's why I especially get intrigued by a move inside for Evans or at least if 40 to 50 percent of his routes came from the slot. I think that would be a huge win for Mike Evans at this point in his career, even if he were to lose Tom Brady, to your point, he won't catch as many touchdowns. But if you heard that Mike Evans was going to play the slot in the Arians offense next year, wow, you would immediately think this guy could catch a hundred balls. Like it could happen. That would be wild. And yeah, how about Evans catching the goats final pass right over the head of one Jalen Ramsey. Great year from Mike Evans. Everyone. We have a sponsor. I would love to share with you here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Our friends over at Western Southern, today is the last day to submit your submit your questions for Chris Collinsworth. You can do so at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash feast. You will be eligible for catering up to $2,500 coordinated with an order from a restaurant near you and have that delivered on the day of the big game, February 13, 2022. can check out the winners on the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram. Again, submit those at westernsouthern.com slash feast. And remember, Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. And finally, love our friends over at Manscaped. This Valentine's Day is time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With our exclusive offer, go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's 20% off with free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. All right, Dwayne. Final segment for today 
the 2022 Jameis Winston All-Star. Something I do every single year for three straight years and something I take quite seriously because Dwayne Jameis, one of my favorite players since he's coming to the league, not because I think he's the best quarterback in the world, but because I think he is one of the most entertaining quarterbacks in the world. And for that, I want to honor him because with Jameis, it's one of these things where I hate trying to say that anyone in the NFL sucks. And I'm not saying, you know, we don't say that from time to time. Twitter during games can become a bloodbath. But guys like Jameis, they do certain things very well. You don't lead the NFL in passing yards. You don't throw for 30-plus touchdowns without being really good at certain things. But also, you don't throw 30 picks without being pretty bad. So that was kind of where the idea of the article met. I do not think these are bad players. They just trade really extreme highs with really extreme lows. So with all that in mind, Dwayne, I would like to reveal my 2022 Jameis Winston All-Stars and Jameis is not eligible for quarterback. He's the perfect he's the perfect Jameis Winston All-Star. Obviously, he's Jameis freaking Winston. And to his credit, he was a little bit more consistent uh, this past year than I think a lot of people would give him credit for. So with all that in mind, Dwayne, our Jameis Winston All-Star quarterback for 2022 is Justin Fields. Mentioned this earlier when we were kind of talking about uh, what the Bears could bring to the table from a passing game this next year. But again, this big-time throw rate, actually fourth on the year, trailing only Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, and Joe Burrow. Shows some of those highlights on my Twitter from before. But basically, Dwayne, you know, if you only watched the first couple starts from uh, uh, from Fields, I think you'd have kind of a different impression for what he was able to overcome and just really accomplish by the end of the year. I mean, that Steelers game on Monday Night Football, I think we started to see the most out of him. And we started to get some of that, you know, Konami rush upside that we always know he has in his back pocket so the point here with Justin Fields there are some lows but there are also a lot of highs that I think we should feel good about going into 2022 and beyond for sure like I mean if you look at him he's getting a new he's going to get a new coaching staff right we'll see who ends up being the offensive coordinator um, we, we already know that you know Everfluss from Indianapolis is coming you know to coach but I'm very interested like in who the coordinator is like I, man I was so hoping that this was going to be uh, Brian DeBall like this is where I wanted him to go. Like, just cause you know, he's had, you know, uh, Josh Allen, he knows how to use the quarterback that can utilize their legs. Like that was like my optimal landing spot, but we'll see who they bring in. The biggest thing for me is like, they just got to use him more on the design rushing attempt stuff. Ian, like only 6% of the bears design rushing attempts went to Justin Fields. Are you guys kidding me? Come like on. that number needs to be between 15 and 25%. You know, that's just, you got to make the defense really respect his legs. And that's just going to open up more for fields. Like his scramble rate was great. 13%. You know, that was one of the highest in the league, but you just got to get the play. I mean, the uh, design rushing attempts up, get some more play action going off of that. And then hopefully that also helps with his sack rate because his sack rate was atrocious. 10, uh, 10% of the time he dropped back, he was getting sacked. Now time to throw is also part of that, right? 3.06 average time to throw four fields on the season. But we've seen other quarterbacks that can live with that, right? You know, there's, there's a difference between just holding the ball too long and being able to hold the ball and still evade the rush, right, and make things happen, which can honestly lead to more broken plays because you can turn that into a scramble to a scramble drill. And we know that Fields has the arm. So he's one of the players that I'm still the most bullish on heading into 2022, a player that I can't wait to be drafting and uh, can't wait to find out who the offensive coordinator is going to be. 
Yeah, Dwayne mentioned a lot of, you know, the reasons why. Because if you're on this list, there's some good things, which I mentioned, and also some bad things. Tenth worst quarterback in terms of a worthy play rate. I mean, this dude took 36 sacks and fumbled 12 times in 12 games. That is way too much. And, yes, only Jalen Hurts held the ball longer on average. Not all on fields. We all saw what Matt Nagy was doing out there each and every week. And on the season, the Bears actually had the single lowest rate of pass catchers considered open or wide open at just 38.9%. PFF's 22nd-ranked offensive line I think could have helped matters as well I think the latest is potentially Joe Brady like being the coordinator for the Bears I would take that I I, I think everybody soured on Joe Brady um but like I I still like what he did you know at LSU um you know I I guess still a lot to be determined but he comes from really that you know uh, Sean Payton coaching tree which I think is an what I like about that coaching tree is they know how to design looks specifically to make things easy on your players. You know, it's not always just drop back and have to read the whole field. Obviously, that was a part of it with Drew Brees, but we want a coordinator that can help maximize, right, the strengths of a young player. And so maybe maybe Joe Brady can help do that. Hey, I mean, the we'll, we'll see. And that's not that's not for sure or anything. That's just I was looking up as we were looking here to see if there was any more news on the offensive coordinator who could potentially come to the Bears. I mean, I understand the Brady tenure didn't end fantastic, but the dude enabled three top 24 wide receivers with Teddy Bridgewater under center, uh, you know, all the way back in 2020. So uh, certainly bigger things could happen if you increase that overall talent pool. At running back, our James Winston all-star is DeAndre Swift. Look, awesome receiver. We talked about, you know, his fantasy prospects and why it's just such a cheat code, the amount of receptions he's able to get. Ceiling is the roof for this guy with a true three-down roll, and it's going to be the floor is pretty high as it is. Objectively, one of the worst rushers of the football that we saw in the league last year. Among 50 running backs with 100 plus carries, he was dead last in PFF rushing grade, tied for 31st in yards per carry, 46 in yards after contact per carry, 45th in missed tackles force per carry, 43rd in percentage of carries for first down or touchdowns. Like, Dwayne, I put this uh, graph together throughout the year just to kind of indicate where these running backs were falling, just really based on these one on one metrics, because we know how much of this comes down the offensive line and things like that. So, with running back yards after contact per carry and missed tackles forced like you see swift just down alongside guys like miles gaskin Devonte booker daryl williams ezekiel elliott you know kind of you can laugh at that he's not quite in the t- upper group of guys like your nick chubbs uh you know your Devonte williams of the world jonathan taylor's guys like that so no swift hasn't been good running the ball with that said we all know that he can catch the hell out of it 62 of 76 targets 452 yards and two touchdowns so i think the things here Dwayne to remember is that he was starting to get uh, better. I think some of the things he was doing against the Steelers, you know, week 10, 130 rushing yards, and then the following week, 136 yards and just 14 carries, I believe, against the Cardinals. Don't quote me on that, though. And then he got hurt. So with Swift, uh, like you said, he's still so young. Hopefully, next year, we can actually see him even be an average guy on the ground, because if he can do that, man, Seriously, we're talking about a legit top five back. I know for the first part of last season, like based on what you saw in the first couple of games, he was a top five back. Yeah, he was. Uh, I mean, look, it's it, targets per route run kind of gets rid of like all the injury stuff, right? And that was 24%. <laughs> so 24% of the time he was on the field, he was seeing a target at the running back position. Um, and that was even later in the year, in, in week 18, you know, because everybody's like, well, Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown's going to soak, soak up all the stuff underneath. Well, they coexisted in that game. DeAndre Swift saw a 24% target per route run. He saw 17% of the targets in that game. Um, so I think Swift can still be plenty involved in the passing game. 
Um, you know, the thing I like the most about him is what you already hit on. It's really his role as a receiver, a 1.41 yards per route run. That's, that's elite for a running yeah. back. Like two and over is really good for a receiver. Running back, you get up over a one, like you're doing something. You start getting close to a one and a half. That's like elite. Um, he does work. He can work down the field as far as his average depth of target as well. Like he can run a variety, you know, of different routes. Is he the best route runner ever? No, but he's still also, like you mentioned, still a young player. Um, and I like the fact that he's still got the big playability. You're right. He scores below the league average and all the other stuff. Missed tackles force per attempt, you know, is 11%. The league average is 17% over the last three years. So minus 6%. Yards uh, after contact is over three yards per carry is the average. He's at a 2.4. But I don't think we really think of him as being a big yards after contact guy. He's not necessarily – and not that all yards after contact are created equal. I mean, the way we chart them, it's like once contact happens, right, and then you take off. Like, it could be an arm tackle. It's not like direct hits. So this doesn't always – yards after contact doesn't always mean you're great at breaking, like, you know, direct, you know, collision tackles or or direct side, you know, collision type stuff. But – the big, the big playability was still there. 14% of his carries um, went for 10 yards or more. So I do like that about DeAndre Swift. So I think if you can make big plays and you're very involved in the passing game, I think those are huge positives for him. Um, we just got to be careful with the game script stuff because we have seen in those games where the, you know, the Lions were able to stay competitive, like his role was just not the same. Jameis Winston, all-star wide receiver, our guy, Mike Williams. Oh, man, the amount of, you know, conversations we had about Mike throughout the year, Dwayne, was something, and it just kept coming down to him either balling the hell out. I mean, you look at his kind of finishes to start the year, literally turning in three top ten finishes in the first five weeks. It seemed like we finally had someone that was seeing just as much volume as Keenan Allen, only it was more fantasy-friendly down the field and in the red zone, and then things just changed. As great as that second half run was for Keenan Allen and really a lot of things Austin Eckler did, it came out of price, and that was Mike Williams. I mean, looking at what he did after their week seven by wide receiver 79, 46, 45, like even this wide receiver 10 finishing here, that's coming on a complete blown coverage at the end of the game against the Steelers. And then we just have yeah. a bunch more finishes where he's, you know, failing to even crack wide receiver three status. But then, Dwayne, you know, week 18, we start seeing some of that tantalizing, just blow up ability once again, uh, just like we started the season with. So, you know, this will be one of, I think, one again, we talked about the Chargers offense already being one of the most important stories lines to watch but let's remember man like Mike Williams is someone that you need to look at he's already got two 1,000 yard seasons to his name he's got 11 touchdowns season to his name he led you know he just led the Chargers in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns last year Keenan Allen's awesome Mike Williams pretty damn good in his own right yeah Williams was truly an enigma like he's an enigma period like for me um, because he's a guy that I strongly avoided last year and it ended up being fine. But like at the beginning of the season, like talk about sweating it. Like, I think I even brought it up a couple times on our pods. Like my, my biggest miss at the time was really Mike Williams. I just basically said, look, he, I feel like he is what he is. He's really a deep threat, one trick kind of pony. Like, you know, he was heading into year five. Do we really think he's going to be that different? Yeah, he was. But this year he was an enigma, like you mentioned, after week six. But remember the knee injury occurred in week six. So the story you could tell yourself and there's probably some truth to it. Like he just wasn't right for the whole middle part of the season after that injury. And so if, if you believe that that is really what, you know, knocked Williams off of his pedestal, then you could tell yourself a story that, okay, previous to this, they really only used him as a downfield threat, you know, so that really hurts your targets per route run. If you're running gassers the whole time, like, you know, <laughs> quarterbacks don't just throw the ball deep every play. Like if you get 20% of your targets coming 20 yards or over, like that's a lot. Um, you know, most, a lot of players are way under that. 
And so you're not going to see as many targets if you're only being used in that part of the field. So what we at least got to see this year, I thought, Ian, was we got to at least see that, look, there is this other side of his game. His dot was the lowest of his career since his rookie year, which he didn't have that many routes that year. Um, but if you look at it, you know, 2018 to 2020, his ADOTs were 15-6, 18-3, 15-8. And then this last year, we saw it stay at a 12. So it wasn't like his role changed over the course of the season. The biggest change, really, as far as I can tell, is was the injury really the bigger impact? And maybe he finally started to get healthy again at the end of the season. But despite all of that, like, look, it's still a career high in um, target share, 19%. Career high in targets per route run, 21%. Career high in yards per route run, 1.97. Career high in yak uh, per reception, 5.5. So, like, he he was hitting on all cylinders, you know, compar- comparatively speaking, like, to the rest of his career. And so if you think that what you potentially get with Evans is a guy that can fit into more than just being a deep threat and can really operate in the intermediate areas of the field for an offense, and if he lands with a good quarterback, like, there's a huge ceiling for Mike um, Williams heading into this next year. But to your point, the inconsistency was there. You just got to, you know, we don't know for sure that it was a knee. We're, we're yeah. kind of making a guess that it was really to do with the injury. We don't know for sure because there is also a big enough sample where earlier in his career, he just didn't do enough for being such a high draft pick. Like for how high the guy was drafted, you know, he's drafted in the top eight, I believe. Like I don't have it right in front of me again, but I was seventh. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. He was pick seven. Like of all the guys since 2011 that have been picked inside the top seven, he he's the worst. Like he's the worst performer so far to this point in his career. Jameis Winston, all-star tight end. Kyle Pitts, who I was hard on for stretches of this year because, my goodness, you could not talk to one single fantasy analyst in this industry without them going completely crazy about this dude's potential. And, you know, for someone that didn't turn 21 until October, I still think he actually managed to have a good year. It just came with some bad. Again, this dude caught... 68 passes, 1,026 yards, second most ever. Couldn't quite get Ditka's record, but as we know, you know, when 80% of your routes come out wide, I was going to have words to say about that anyway. So, Dwayne, we saw him already clear 1,000 yards in an offense where, let's face it, you only got five games out of Calvin Ridley. Wasn't exactly much, uh, you know, else with all due respect to our guy, Russell Gage, uh, for defenses really focus their attention. So I get it from that standpoint. Him only scoring one touchdown, I'd be shocked if he finishes, you know, with below five or even six next year. I don't know. Go even higher. Like, I don't care. I'm not too worried about that. But it's a reality. His only touchdown came when the Jets decided to cover him with the defensive lineman on the goal line. And he still had 14 red zone targets which were the most on the Falcons. So Dwayne with Pitts, it was like the reason why he made this list is, one, we had the classic, you know, we're Great receiving tight end, bad blocker. He was 70, I believe, yeah, 71st in PFF run blocking grade among 102 qualified tight ends. So we're already getting, you know, a bit of Jekyll and Hyde there. Then we had the yards and the touchdowns. And the third piece of the puzzle was the reality that Pitts dominated against safeties and linebackers for the most part. I mean, you look at him against linebackers, 39th among 107 qualified receivers against safeties, you know, number 15. But once he started to have to face cornerbacks, it wasn't that he was bad. I mean, 2.28 yards per route run against pure cornerbacks, that's still 59th. It's not horrendous, but we're not seeing him really at the top of the food chain. So if Pitts is able to put it together in the future, man, which, hey, he's 21 years old, why wouldn't he get better? It's going to be great, but I think that last piece of the puzzle Dwayne is Pitts really dominating defenses when they treat him like a wide receiver, not just as a mismatched tight end. Yeah, but I think also if I was 
running the offense. Like I would just use him inside. I'm not going to make him go beat outside coverage. I'll get a receiver to put out there and I want the mismatch against the safeties and the linebackers. That is the advantage when you're, if you draft Kyle Pitts where you drafted him, where can you gain the biggest edge with him? Play him inside. Yeah. Play him inside. And I think we could see more of that. Hayden Hurst is a free agent, I believe, this year. You know, So that's a former first-round pick. Played most of the inline snaps. Um, so we could see Pitts get more of the inline work. Get him in the slot more. He had 45% of his routes from the slot this last year. This last year. But, I mean, 2.02 yards per route run for a rookie tight end. Like, it's like, I'm just not, there's not much I can <laughs> complain about. I think you hit it on the head. Like, touchdowns are going to come. Um, there's just no way he's going to score, you know, less than like probably if he sees the same kind of usage he saw, you know, this year as far as the amount of routes he was getting to run, which he was on the field for over 80 percent. His targets per route run over 20 percent at 21 percent. Those are elite numbers. Typically, if you hit those two numbers, um, if your efficiency is, you know, you know, just average, you're going to be a top four, top three tight end. And so and he was knocking on the door of that still, yep. you know, this season. Um, but I like him next year. Like, I'm just putting him right there next to Waller. I think they're kind of in their own tier above, like, Hawkinson and some of the other guys that we may like that we know are going to get targets. I think Pitts, Waller fit right there. And then you've got, you know, Kelsey, Kittle, you know, above that. All right. Wrapping up the rest of the Jameis Winston All-Stars. Offensive lineman, Miami's Dolphins guard, Robert Hunt. Pretty much a mediocre, you know, guard on the season inside a PFF single worst offensive line. But Robert Hunt did give us arguably the best highlight of the year on Thursday Night Football when he managed to catch that, you know, was it fumble pass? Wherever the, I don't forget how he got the ball in his hand, but this man flew through the air against the Ravens, scored a touchdown. It was like, you know, when uh, Ricky Bobby beat Jean Girard in that race, like completely illegal and no way did it count. But we all know that Robert Hunt scored that touchdown. So I want to take that moment to try to honor uh, a guy that, again, maybe not the best overall stats on the year, but for that play, he was a god. Defensive line, Philadelphia Eagles defensive tackle, Javon Hargrave. PFF's fourth highest graded pass rusher behind only Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, and Max Crosby. His nickname's the Grave Digger. He did this cool kicking down an imaginary door celebration every time he got a sack. It was awesome, but he was also pretty freaking horrendous against the run on the year. And that's how I got it. I basically took every defensive lineman, looked at their pass rush grade, looked at their run defense grade, and Javon Hargrave had the biggest difference. 32.6 run grade. That was the third lowest mark among 121 defensive linemen. So fourth best pass rusher, third worst run defender. You know, Hargrave got paid to come to Philly. I'm sure if he, you know, just focuses a little more. That is more an interesting on one, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of that does depend on scheme. Right. It does, yeah, and, it and that's, and that's what? what I say real quick. Yeah, because you're right, because I do, and this is my lovely article, which you can find on pff.com. He did score three straight seasons with a run defense grade north of 70 with the Steelers. So, Dwayne, I think you do have a point there. Yeah, because in the Steelers scheme, right, it's letting the linebackers, you know, get to the ball. With the Eagles scheme, you know, a lot of that is really about, you know, dis- disruption, right? It's like, you know, you're playing your gap, but it's all around penetration. And so yeah. sometimes if you're – just trying to tee off and get penetration. Well, what does that do? That obviously lets an offensive line have an easier job of getting leverage on you if you're already moving in the wrong direction, which in my mind could easily make you look much more of like a 50-50 player, you know, against the run game. But but I, I totally get where you're coming from. I love this stuff. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, even for Jameis, we saw what the difference between Bruce Arians, go do whatever the hell you want. And then Sean Payton, you know, hey, cool touchdown, Jameis. Never freaking do it again. <laughs> uh, Lou Brown type moments there. It's very, very similar thing for Zach Cunningham on the Titans. I mean, one of our very worst linebackers in coverage fourth best against the run. I mean, this was a guy who got waived by the Texans with five games remaining. Titans scoop him up and immediately start him each and every way. And, you know, credit to them. Once Zach Cunningham got in the lineup, Steelers 35 rushing yards, Niners only 83, Dolphins 74, Texans 64, Bengals 65. He was flying around while he was doing it. So Zach Cunningham, again, just one of these guys where Really freaking good against the run. Saw a lot of issues, though, in the coverage department. Similar with our only repeat appearance from last year, Seahawks safety Jamal Adams. Didn't get a sack, but he did get two picks. Either way, 15th best safety at rushing the passer, 18th against the run. Unfortunately, 108th in coverage grade. So I get it. You know, you, Seahawks paid him a lot of money to be someone that he is not. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. Bad player relative to his contract, that's fine. Still someone that's going to give a lot of offensive lines a lot of problems when he is healthy and ready to go. And finally, Dwayne, the captain of the Jameis Winston All-Stars, Trayvon Diggs. Who else could it be? 11 interceptions. Also, only cornerback to give up over 1,000 yards in his, in his coverage. Um, I think Deontay Lee, uh, our PFF's own Deontay Lee, and his uh, breakdown really put it the best. This is from Deontay's article. Ultimately, two things can be true at once. You cannot tell the story of the season without mentioning his 11 interceptions, and you cannot tell the story of Diggs without acknowledging that those picks are about the only thing he's done well all year. And Dwayne, that's what it came down to. Like, I don't think there was a single player this season, regardless of position, that could look like a complete world-beating all-star on one play, and then just a scrub on the next like Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, it's just one of these things like being a Cowboys fan, like – so, you know, my dad and brother like text me the whole game and 40% of the texts are about Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> it's like either, oh my God, like this is the best thing ever. And then it's like, what was Trayvon doing? Like what just happened on that play? But look, it's like if you come up and, and you can see it, like when you watch him play and like, and you just go back, even if you're just like kind of, you know, I don't watch tape on defensive players a lot, but like if there's a player that I probably watched it the most on this year, I would say that it is Diggs yeah. because I just go back and have to rewatch. But like you'll see, like he's covering, you know, a drag route, a slant route. He's already trying to get on that underneath hip, even if he doesn't have two high safeties over the top, which typically like if you're playing a man coverage kind of thing and you got two safeties over the top, like you're playing you know, the, the hip that's closest to the quarterback, right? You're trying to play underneath in a trail position. Like he was trying to play that position. If it's like cover zero, like he's, <laughs> he's just like, I'm going for this pick. I don't care what. And then obviously, you know, when the receiver all of a sudden peels off and then breaks up the field, you're not in the best position anymore and you don't have help. Like those are some of the things, but you just have to say like for all the risks that he took, they, a lot of them did pay off. Like he, he, he came through huge. You know, I would say he definitely gave the Cowboys more positives than negatives this season because we just know what those turnovers mean. Again, that was the goal for most of these guys. A lot of positives with some negatives. Either way, want to recognize all the good things they did along with some of the bad. Your 2022 Jameis Winston All-Stars. Again, quarterback Justin Fields. Running back DeAndre Swift. Wide receiver Mike Williams. Tight end Kyle Pitts. Offensive lineman Robert Hunt. Defensive lineman Javon Hargrave. Linebacker Zach Cunningham. Safety Jamal Adams. And captain cornerback Trayvon Diggs. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne, 
fantastic stuff. We will be back here in a few days, focusing a little bit more on the long-term dynasty season has hit this podcast in February. Some of the things we want to look at, you know, what a leap year is, what to maybe expect from, you know, just rookies based on draft capital, a couple things of that nature, bigger picture ideas. And I think as early as next week, maybe the week after we'll start going to quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end dynasty ranks. So Dwayne, anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? No, I'll be putting out a tight end article this week. So if you folks want to check out the series two weeks ago, did uh, running back free agents really broke them down into different buckets, like every down backs, you know, early down backs, guys that can handle the passing work, be complimentary, um, just kind of getting us ready for seeing where do they land, right? So once they land somewhere, like how does that potentially match with the skill set? Then just did the same thing with receivers last week, and then tight ends will uh, hit on Thursday. And then I'll do, uh, I'll, I'm deciding if I'm going to do something on quarterback or not for the following week. But I've already been digging into the rookie stuff and pulling in a lot of data. So definitely going to have some more stuff around, you know, some of these draft picks here over the next couple of weeks as we get uh, to the week after the Super Bowl. Maybe have something the week before the Super Bowl. I'm trying to work through that now. Again, Dwayne and I will be here each and every Tuesday and Thursday throughout the offseason. Also, to try to keep the 10 questions going, as I have pulled up on the screen now, Tej Seth, Research and Development Intern at PFF, at Tej F. Ball FB Analytics on Twitter, part of Michigan football, which I hate, but he's a smart guy, so we'll have him on anyway and talk to him on Thursday as well. So keep an eye out for that. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>